Good morning, Petaluma. This is Talking with Rabbi Ted on KPCA-LP, Petaluma, California, 103.3 FM. Welcome to our studios today. I'm Rabbi Ted Feldman, the Rabbi of B'nai Israel Jewish Center and Chair of the Petaluma Community Relations Council. And in our studio during our second segment today, well, today we're celebrating the first anniversary of uh, this radio program. Can't believe it's been a year already and really been pleased to meet so many wonderful people here in the studio and have conversations. So during our second segment today, we're going to speak with Rob Tomaszewski, who is the station manager here at KPCA. And here in our studio for the first segment uh, is Erica Stewart, who is the assistant producer of this program, um, member of uh, B'nai Israel Jewish Center, um, all those kind of good things. Welcome to the studio. Thank you. It's great to have you here today. I'm glad to be here. You like to be on radio? I d- this has been a long time. Did it long years time. ago. Years, years ago. Years ago. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Still pretty much the same. It looks pretty much the same in a studio, I'm pretty sure. Well, this equipment is actually far better than the equipment I was working with, so <laughs> okay. it's okay. a step up. Well, welcome. I'm glad you're here. And, of course, I thank you for all you do in helping to publicize the program mm-hmm. and help me make some decisions around what we're doing. That's been great to work with you. So today I'd like our listeners to be able to meet you, learn a little bit about you, and see where the conversation goes, which is what we usually do. So, what's your what's your background in you know you're here in Petaluma, but what what have you been doing in life? A oh, long journey. Gravity's <laughs> <laughs> never been my strongest point. Um, I started out actually in sixty minutes, and I was there ten years. Oh, okay. and from sixty minutes, I moved back to California, and was an executive producer for a local television. Uh, station that was an O&O of ABC. And then from there, did a two-year stint with another television station outside the state of California when I finally really, really got uh, fed up with, uh, with media and uh, decided I wanted to go a different route and ended up as the public information officer for, if you can imagine, the Madeira County Sheriff's Office. The Madeira County Sheriff's yes. Office. That is hard to imagine. Yes, <laughs> that is hard to imagine. So you describe these places where you've been as actually places. Mm-hmm. I left 60 Minutes. Right. I went here. Um, what, what was 60 Minutes? It's a pretty big deal. Uh, it was my, believe it or not, it was my dream as a child. I'll never forget. I was 10 years old, and I wanted to watch the wonderful world of Disney that used to come on on uh, ABC at that time. And my my dad said, nope, tonight we're watching 60 Minutes. And I thought, 60 Minutes, that just sounds terrible. And so there I am, and Mike Wallace and Harry Reasoner are on. And I, I don't remember what they said. I don't remember what the stories were. I was completely bored out of my mind. And then came Shana Alexander with Point Counterpoint. Oh, that was fun to watch. Well, I was riveted. And my dad at the end said, well, what do you think, kid? And I said, I didn't know girls could do this. He said, yes, they can. They can do anything they want. And I said, well, I'm going to work for 60 minutes then. And it happened. Um, a lot of hard work, but, uh, lots of hard work. Um, but I do credit Mike Wallace for actually hiring me. 
Uh, did you go to journalism school? No. Was your, what no. Was your... I, I went to Syracuse University, and believe it or not, my major was speech writing and communications with a minor in religious studies. Um, and I, I was actually planning to go to law school. And then I started doing radio in college. I had been writing for the local newspapers. I thought, no, that's just not the route I want to go. Uh, I want to go into media. And my brother had asked me, who was an attorney? He said, why are you doing this? And I said, you have a jury of 12. If I'm lucky, I could get a jury of 20 million. So I lay out the facts, and they decide. Mm. Yeah, that's facts. Wow, that, that takes us into a whole other area of right. reporting and journalism for the moment. So uh, interesting that you did the uh, this course in college because your dad was a speechwriter, was he not? Dad was a speechwriter. Yes, he was. Uh, dad worked for General Electric, uh-huh. and um, he also started out in the newspaper industry, uh-huh. and it was his first love. But then thought he could make more money if he went into corporate. Uh, he had a family. He had to worry about you know taking care of us, taking care of the house, etc. So, Dad had been working with General Electric. Uh, he actually did their advertising. Those were the days where they were live commercials filmed. Right. Uh-huh. And then he ended up with international uh, communications. And he was a speechwriter for, um, you remember Bill Payne, mm-hmm. or Tom Payne, rather, sorry. Tom Payne, who actually end- left GE and became the head of NASA. Uh, and Dad traveled the world and ab- absolutely loved what he did. And it just so happens, by accident, yes, I followed in the footsteps of my dad. By accident? I think by accident, wow. yes. Okay. Okay, we won't get into that. That's between you and a therapist. Now. This is true. We won't get into that part. But, uh, so this is, so you got into 60 Minutes, but uh, did you, was there a position that was advertised? How no. Did you, how do you get into 60 Minutes? Unlike a lot of the kids that I went to college with, most of them, had the opportunity. They were from affluent families. So mom and dad could pay for their room and board so they could intern, so they could get to the next level. I didn't have that opportunity. I had to work. I had to put myself through school. So when it got to working for CBS, I joined their PAGE program, which is a grand total of $9,000 a year. That was gross. I won't even tell you what I netted. And the the purpose of the PAGE program is an in-house temp where you're not relying on outside because um, in news, it's so cloistered and you have to really be careful of who's working in these offices, who's going to share outside. So if you have an in-house temp and you bring someone in, then you know the only person this individual is going to be talking to is someone within CBS. So you could work in the, the bowels of the company working, you know, changing film, changing tape. You could work in, in corporate. You know, you, you could get moved around a lot. And one day I was, I happened to get a, uh, a, a five-day stint with a gal who used to be the um, uh, human resources personnel director for hiring for 60 Minutes, and she was best friends with Don Hewitt's assistant. And I was working for her, and I never went to lunch. I, I did everything that needed to get done. All the paperwork she gave me was done it the next day. And she finally calls me into her office and she said, i got to ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, my dream is to work for 60 minutes. But I don't type very fast. She starts laughing and she said, they don't either. And she said, what's your background? And I said, I really don't have a background. And I just explained to her, you know, what I've done in my life in, in terms of research. You know, I, did, I dabbled in print. I dabbled in radio. 
And it just coincidentally, Morley Safer needed an assistant because his had moved on to another job. So she called upstairs and she said, I've got one for you. And I walked in there and I was absolutely speechless. I thought I was going to take on the reception's position because they were looking for a reception as well. No, they brought me back. And there it is, the hollowed halls of 60 Minutes. Mike Wallace, Morley Safer, Ed Bradley, or uh, Ed Bradley, Harry Reasoner. And I, I was just shaking in my shoes. I'm sure you were. That must have been an exciting moment. It was. You were there for 10 years? I was there said? for 10 years, yes. Yeah. 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 And you moved on? I moved on. Um, you, I'm, I'm not one to be married to my job. I'm not one to be beholden to the job. I wanted to work for 60 Minutes. I got the opportunity to work for 60 Minutes. I desperately missed home. I didn't like New York. And so after 10 years, I just packed up my bags, moved back to California, and started over. And Don Hewitt thought I was the craziest thing he had met, but, you know, wished me luck, and that was that. Wow, okay. Yeah. Big, a big change for your life. It now. was. Yeah, it's amazing. I was just thinking about Harry Reasoner yesterday. Yeah. I just mentioned his name yesterday because... Somebody was talking about retirement to me, and I was remembering his speech when he was forced to retire at age 65, and basically implying that, did my brain change between the day before my birthday and the day after my birthday? And it was a really powerful, I've never forgotten that, that speech that he gave that I heard him give. So, yeah, I just was just thinking about him yesterday. Irrelevant to you at this point, but I was just, it's just occurring to me as you mentioned his name. It's actually not irrelevant, and it, it brings tears to my eyes because he was one of my dearest friends. Yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, I remember that well. So here you are and uh, doing your thing. Wow, media and, and public information and the sheriff's office, that's quite a career. And now you're here at KPCA doing some things uh, supporting this, uh, the work of the station, or at least this radio program. Uh, so, obviously, uh, during this period of time now, the, me the world of media and journalism and all that has really been shifting and really challenged in many ways. Uh, I've had a couple of uh, interviews on this program with Matt Brown, the editor of the Petaluma Argus Courier, and the publisher, the new publisher who's there. So, uh, that's our local thing. What's, what's your take on what's happening out there in the world? I, you've got to go back to the 80s, honestly. Um, the, the changes started when um, Lawrence Tisch bought out CBS. He was the real estate mogul in New York. Disney bought out or was going, planning to buy out ABC. It didn't happen until the 90s. Um, Cap Cities actually bought ABC. And then um, General Electric bought out NBC. And that's when they started getting downsizing. Where's the, where's the bottom dollar? How can we make more money with less? And the impact took time. It was gradual. But reporters were forced into a position where they had limited amount of time to actually vet the information they were gathering. And corporate, meantime, two things are most important to them. One, ratings. Because if you get the ratings, you get the commercial time. And if you get the commercial time, that's money. 
And so the whole idea of the purpose of journalism, what it, it, it was, it was getting lost in in this effort to make lots of money. And it wasn't just television that was suffering this; radio was suffering this, newspapers were suffering this, um, and the frustration with with reporters themselves and being bought out or being dismissed, some summarily dismissed, finding a way to get rid of someone because you didn't want to do the big buyout. Uh, not wanting to give them a 401, not wanting to deal with uh, retirement. So lo and behold, gradually, in comes what I tend to call the fifth estate, which is Internet. And Internet started covering stories, giving it time. It, they weren't for profit. They are just giving the amount of time that it took to cover the stories that were important to us as, as, as citizens, not what you as a corporation decide is important. But here's one of the problems, and the problem I had with the Internet for a very long time, was that you didn't have an editorial board that was actually looking over and checking for facts so that you could pretty much spew anything and you weren't being governed by the rules of AP standards. Um, but then it comes out, we come to find out that a lot of that was actually going on within the industry that I wasn't aware of until I became a victim of it. In as a public information officer. And so I understood the frustrations with the media, and but also the media's frustration in trying to get a story. That was always my side. My frustration of getting a story and being honest and being factual and never having a slant because you can't. And then I'm on the other side and I'm looking at the slant. Not all of them, just a, a, a portion of them. But unfortunately, those few bad apples started making the industry look kind of uh, nefarious, which uh, I don't think is fair. It's not fair to those of us who followed the rules. Um, but you do have a, a, a group of people who don't. I'll give you a prime example. When I was working at the sheriff's office, out of the blue one day, I get a call from a reporter who said, Eric, we were just talking about something in the, in the newsroom, and, and, and I'm just going to throw this hypothetical question your way. I think it's a social call. The, the bulb should have gone off, but it didn't. And I said, okay, hypothetically speaking, what? He said, well, what would you say about uh, a, a, a cop uh, having uh, an, an affair with an inmate in prison? So I started laughing, and I said, well, common sense would dictate that you don't. Oh, that's a great line. Can I use that? And I said, wait a second, for what? He said, oh, I'm doing an art, but don't worry, it's not your department that I'm investigating. I said, well, that's all well and good, but you didn't tell that to me when you called me. Right, right. You weren't up front. And he said, you answered the phone, you answered the question, we're done. And he hangs up on me. And I quickly find out who he's doing the investigation on, and I've got to run to my boss and profusely apologize because I know that I'm going to be in the paper the next day. And I wasn't speaking on behalf of my department in this particular case. So he called the chief of police in Fresno at the time the investigation was happening. And I called the, this reporter's editor, and I said, what you did was wrong, absolutely wrong and unfair and unprofessional. And the editor took the same stance as the reporter. You took the call, you answered the question, he hung up on me. And it really soured me. And it wasn't the entire industry, but it was just that one episode. Right, but that happens. I mean, I've had those kinds of experiences. Um, and, and I may get back to that, but I wanted to 
challenge you on one. Is it possible to write an article about an event without a slant? Yes. Is it possible to just, because uh, let's say there are a hundred facts in an automobile accident that a reporter is writing about, but in an article he can only get 15 of the facts, whatever those facts might be. Isn't his choice of which facts to report already a slant? He reports them all. Well, that's fine, but the, you know, the, the editor's going to say there's too much information, it needs to be shortened. Um, the, the headliner, the person who writes the headlines is going to... He has the slant. That, all, I remember when I, I was thinking of this, when I was in Georgia, there was an article in our local paper, and it says, the headline was, Judaism Seeks Converts. And... Um, it was in big type in this relative to the size of the page and stuff like that. It was in big, bold type. And the first paragraph said, one rabbi in California, I was in the East Coast, one rabbi in the California has advocated that Judaism seeks converts. So the article title screamed out, and then it's one person is advocating what that title said. And I was livid, you know, I was livid. And I called the reporter, and of course the reporter gave me the usual answer. Well, the title writers write that kind of thing, right? So it's out of their hands, which I, okay, called the editor. Oh, uh, yeah, sorry, well, yeah, yeah, well, I'm, 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 I'm. So yes, there is that, that kind of thing does happen. So sometimes the slant actually comes in the choice of facts that can be either portrayed in the headline or in the article itself. That's what I would advocate. But no, I, no, I agree with you, but in, in, if you're looking today, for example, you've got the, the far right with its slant of uh -huh. the facts that it presents and how it presents them. You have the progressives and their slant on how they present something. I have to tell you that when I was in the media, I was called the most boring reporter because everybody asked me every single time, I never got your take on it. I never got your slant. I don't have a take on anything. Right, and you're not in that particular role. You're not supposed to. No, have it. you're reporting the facts. Correct. And that that is what is obviously needed. That is what is obviously needed. And uh, anybody here, uh, Michael Shapiro, who who is a writer, also was on this program and very worried about the current press situation and how journalists under attack and how journalists try to use the whole thing. The whole thing is a very complicated, and yet freedom of the press, freedom of speech, uh, the role of the press in keeping a balance in our country is really a very important one. But here's my question. Are they doing their job? And what do you think? No. Okay. And why not? Because of the slant? Yes. For instance, you've got Rush Limbaugh who refers to the journalists as the drive-by media. You have Sean Hannity who calls them liars. And then you have Rachel Maddow who cries on air when she finds some zinger. You all have your agenda. You've all got your prospective audience. You're not doing your job. Then you have reporters who are so bent on pushing and reporting on what they believe happened, 
if you can't prove through the facts that you've uh, gleaned, the, the story that you were given, move on. You have no choice. And I have been there in my past where I had a story that I knew I could prove. I couldn't get the information that I needed or anyone that I wanted to give, who, who was willing to give me the information to actually go on air. Therefore, I did not have the story. I had to move on. And th those are tough decisions. And if you can stop putting your opinion, I don't want your opinion. I really don't want your opinion. What I want is to get all the information so that I, as a citizen of, this uni of the United States, can make the decision on what I think is right, not based on what you're spewing. And I might add, um, I'm tired of people blaming Trump for the fake media. The, the, the anguish over media has been brewing for a long time. Trump's just cashing in on it. Right, and he takes advantage of it right. for his own purposes, of course. Um, so what's, what, what can be done? What, what should citizens do? What should we do about this? Well, they're already doing it. Um, it, it started actually yesterday when the word came out about net, net neutrality, where um, all, uh, everyone has an equal playing field, that no one is rendered better than anybody else. And, and this allows the Internet to continue giving you the stories that mainstream media isn't interested really in, in covering. But I caution people when they're in the pursuit of trying to decipher information. Be sure you can also fact check fact versus fiction. So what I'm reading on the internet, is this factually correct? And the onus becomes on the public. So our onus today now is not to rely on the people who have been emboldened with the job of, of minding the store and making sure that what politicians are doing or what, what anybody's doing is, is factually right and, you know, ferreting out the, the lies and the corruption. We now have to make sure that that's not happening within the stories that are being presented in the Internet, on the Internet. You understand? That, yes, I do understand that. And that's a tough one because there's no regulatory system for doing that. On the other hand, we want net neutrality. We want everybody to have access. But like anything in life, it can be used to hurt as well as to enlighten people with uh, the facts and the truths, uh, etc. So, but that, that neutrality bill is certainly an interesting uh, happening yesterday. It's not going very far, obviously, because the Senate is not going to uh, do anything with it at this point. And the whole, uh, you, you know, the people have questioned are all these news reports that come through the Internet that aren't part of CNN or Fox News, do they have the same resources to find out the facts? As the others do. I mean, it's it's a very complex, it's a very complex system. But no doubt, knowing the facts would be the very helpful. The problem is, um, even relative to the president, I, the New York Times had an article a number of months ago, uh, weeks ago. There were four thousand nine hundred and seventy-one public lies told by the president since he came to office, but nobody seems to care too much about it. So facts become, facts become 
sometimes irrelevant to people's perceptions of what's going on. Well, it's re- it's real quick to put out an article. You know, there are X number of lies that he has said so far. That's fine. Why weren't you addressing, like doing the truth test? You know, some information comes out today. I, we had a reporter years ago who did this, and I just adored it. Every time someone running for office would give you the spiel, uh-huh. and he would dissect it. And it was like, it was a book. It's two separate pages. Uh-huh. And that was his job every day. That's what he did. So instead of just giving me a billboard, gotcha, you lied again, that's not helping me. That's not helping me as a viewer. It's not helping me as a reader. Why aren't you addressing what's going on? Each of those specifics and what are, what are the facts that should be known relative to it. I think that's important. So uh, we just have a couple of minutes left, actually, in our discussion here. And, um, any thoughts on about this radio program and doing work for it? Since this is our anniversary, we don't have a cake and candles here and all that kind of stuff. So in the remaining couple of a minute and a half or so that we have left for discussion, what do you think? What's, it, what's that been like for you? For me, it's been great. It's an opportunity to really get back into what I did, um, specifically when I was working for uh, the sheriff's office because of the number of press releases that I had to write and the headlines that I had to give, so the, you know, gotcha, to get them to, to read. And it's been fascinating with the, the list of people that you get, my opportunity, again, to do research on them and to find out, uh, and through that, and then write these teases and, and get the community excited to, to listen to the radio show. And, and you've had some amazing people amazing people on this show, and I think it's been a tremendous service to this community. And so You are one of those amazing people because behind the scenes, you have been part of this effort uh, for since the very beginning, and uh, I really appreciate that. It really makes a difference. It really makes a difference. I'm uncomfortable being put out there because I, I grew up in It's Not About Me, It's About Us. I don't. Don't forget, everybody, her name is Elsa Stewart. And she loves to play tennis. She loves to play Oh, tennis. I want to do a plug real quick. Petaluma <laughs> Tennis Association. <laughs> Must get involved. There you go. There you go. That'll do it. I think it's, uh, it's been great working with you, and I look forward to our continued work. You are an amazing writer, and um, you take great minutes for meetings. I've never seen such research minutes. It's wonderful. And from my heart, thank you so much for helping make this first year so wonderful of an experience for me and I hope for our listeners out there who have had the opportunity to meet so many people. Thank you so much. Happy anniversary. Thank you. During our second segment, we'll be listening to the station manager here at KPCA. This is Talking with Rabbi Ted on KPCA LP, Petaluma, California.
Welcome back to the second segment of Talking with Rabbi Ted here at the KPCH Studios in Petaluma, California. Uh, I've got to be careful during the second segment because my guest is Rob Tomaszewski, who is the station manager here. So i got to be careful not to spill stuff on the counter here and do all kinds of things. You've been pretty good about oh, that. Oh, 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 oh look what you got. Oh, okay. It's sealed. It's spill-proof. Uh, spill-proof water container. Okay. Well, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. Have you been, have you gone on any shows since you've been stage uh, manager? Yeah, I have. Actually, I have uh, hosted a few. Uh-huh. Uh, sometimes there's gap in programming, and we need uh, somebody to fill in, and so I'll come in and jump in and, and do an hour and of... Uh, Whatever music I find out in the library, and um, a couple weeks ago I was uh, on—I was a guest on uh, the, the Sconebone show. Uh, he's he's Monday nights, and uh, we went through some of my record collection, and we played music from the artists that I toured with. Wow! And I was on the road. I'm, I have a show business career, and I—I uh, I was on the road for like 25 years or so. Wow, it must be tough driving for that long. It was. Did you get to stop me. at night and stuff like that? Sometimes, but a lot of times not. I loaded out of a show in Long Island uh-huh. and drove across and loaded into a show at, in uh, Vancouver, B.C. So who are these famous people? You know, <laughs> I, have a, I, have, I was going to print it out. Uh, I was working with some uh, uh, artists out of Los Angeles. Uh, I toured with a group called The Blasters uh-huh. uh, and Los Lobos. And uh, Diana Krall, much later on in my career when I shifted over to do jazz. Um, uh, Dwight Yoakam, you know, a lot of pop art, popular artists, rock artists. And what were you doing with them? Ah. That's right, yeah, Jim was giving me a little thing. So, what yeah, did I do? I was the driver? Or? No, no, I was the sound engineer. I was a production manager. Uh, I was okay. a tour manager. I actually toured, I, how did I forget this? I was a tour manager for John Lee Hooker over a 17-year span. Okay. So, okay. Um, you know, so ah. there you go. Jim sitting next to me here <laughs> helping me is... Uh, Helping me sound on his last album, so there you go. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, good. So. And, you, and you ended up here at KPCA. I did. Wow. It was a little bit of a circuitous route. Uh huh. But uh, you know, after living on the road, it gets tiring. You know, you you're just you're always in a van, you're in a bus, you're in a plane, you're in a hotel. You're, it's never a vacation. Uh, so it, it gets very wearing, especially if you're doing those van rides. You know. But um, I needed to get off the road because I wanted to have a family. And I knew plenty of people who were on the road who had families, but they never saw their kids. They'd be on the road six, seven, eight, nine months of the year, ten months of the year. And, you know, they grow fast. So I started making efforts to get off of the road and use my experience as a production manager uh, and sound engineer to work locally. Uh, I started working as a... uh, technical director at a place called the Flint Center for the Performing Arts in San Jose, uh, Cupertino. And um, so that was a pretty solid 
uh, theater kind of a job, performing arts center. And um, from there, I ended up at a place called Teatro Zanzani in San Francisco, which was a dinner theater cabaret, pretty high end. I was the technical director for that, helped build it uh, when they opened, and I was there for 12 years. I moved into being the sound supervisor, and uh, I was there and helped them take it down when we got booted off the pier to make way for the America's Cup yacht race. So oh. that's how that's why it ended. Yeah, and how'd you end up here in Petaluma? Um, let's see. Well, um, my we, we had just had our daughter Nadia. Uh, she was born in May of '97, and. Um, I wanted out of where I was down, and I was down there in Cupertino, living in Redwood City. Uh, my wife's parents lived in Santa Rosa. She had gotten a job in San Rafael, and we thought, well, where's a place that's you know halfway between San Rafael and Santa Rosa that would be nice? And so we thought of, Pet- <coughs> excuse me, Petaluma, and um, she came up here and looked around, and we found a little farmhouse to rent for a while, and uh, and uh, it was a, it's a great place to raise a family. It's a wonderful place. To it raise is a family. wonderful place to raise a family. Uh, so, uh, and when you came to Petaluma, I understand you got involved in ultimately in lots of different community things aside from the career stuff. I did. Yes, I really wanted to be. In, I, I will. I love doing things in my community, and I really wanted to be involved with something other than the entertainment business, the show business. I wanted to get involved in, in, and meet people outside of the show business uh, realm. It's, it's a very small circle, and I wanted to broaden my horizons. And we were um, patients at the Petaluma Health Center. And at the time, it was a very small little building. Uh, we had just one little part of it. It's on South Point in McDowell. And um, there's a dental office there now, but... The health center was just in one half of this little office building, and um, I became a member of the board of directors. They, they basically they were looking for members of the board, uh, or to join their board, and um, I got Shanghai actually into being uh, a member. They they recruited me. They said, "Would you be interested in being a member of our board?" And I said, "Well, I'd be interested in check it out." They said, "Come to a meeting and see what it's like." And um, and I did, and they voted me onto the board right then. <laughs> that's how, Rob. That's how it works. <laughs> that's how it works. I was like, okay, and I and I stayed on that board for eleven years, uh-huh. and I, I I served as vice president for a while, and chair of various committees, and I helped that uh, the health center grow from that little tiny place. Uh, to the really wonderful federally qualified health center that it is today over there at McDowell. It's a, it's a, it's a cutting edge leading uh, uh, federal qualified health center. Yeah, it is, as you may recall, we had the, uh, what was her title, Business Development, Kelly, um, on the show a couple of months ago. So we uh-huh. talked about the health center yeah. uh, for quite a while here. And I took a little tour there. It's an amazing facility. It's just amazing to see it is. how far it's come over the years. I've been in town 14 years, and in the beginning it was this little place, and now it's yeah. big and it's serving lots of people in a very beautiful way. Right. So thank you for your work on thank that. You. Any thank other you. places you uh, jumped in? Uh, uh, well, yeah. Um, <laughs> during that time. Um, when my daughter was like one, my daughter Nadia, hi Nadia, she may be listening. 
Uh, Hi, Nadia. I look forward to meeting you. She'll be in town this week. Okay. Um, uh, and she was one, one and a half, two, or whatever. I was, I was working nights. I was the stay-at-home daytime person and looking for uh, some play groups to join. And uh, I knew we various people, moms I had met that had uh, children the same age as my daughter, and they were members of these mothers' play groups and things, and they said. Uh, well, one of our members has left. Maybe I can have you come in and join, you know, be part of our, our play group. And I said, well, that'd be great because, uh, you know, you don't want to just be a, your dad with a kid and not other kids to play with. Uh, and we lived kind of out in the country, so uh, there, there was, like, not neighbors. So, um, But uh, unfortunately, I was denied entrance into that play group because I was a dad and not a mom. So, um, I was reading in the newspaper, uh, the Argus Courier, about a guy who was raising a child that was my daughter's age, and he was explaining that he was at his end of, where do I get some people, to, you know, some kids to play with my daughter? And I called him up, and we started this dad's play group. And it grew, and it grew to about 10 dads with all these kids. And it turned out that as we were um, uh, out of these playgrounds in different places, some of the moms' groups would come over and say, oh, are you the dads' playgroup that we hear so much about? So, you know, it kind of went around in a circle. It was pretty cool. Uh, And also later on, um, when my daughter became school age, uh, we were a founding family of the Live Oak Charter School. Okay. And that's a Waldorf-based curriculum, and it's uh, it's thriving right now. I think there's a waiting list. People move to Petaluma to attend that school. It's pretty spectacular. Yeah, so some great things. You know, I think it's really important for uh, our listeners and all of us to realize that every person we meet has more to the world and to their life than is what, what you experience at that one moment, whether it be in the job you're doing or whatever, that we have this whole world. Each of us is a whole world. And I think this show hopefully is a good opportunity for people to learn about people who affect their lives in this community in some way and that everybody is engaged in some way. Petaluma is a beautiful place and we try hard to make sure our community works together. And so it's great to hear that part of your uh, career and your life and your family and uh, and to have you come here at the station. When I first came to the station uh, about 13 or 14 months ago, uh, it was through you. I had emailed you, and there was this article in the Argus Courier that you were looking for programming, and here I was. I, and you said yes. Wow. Oh, yes. We actually, <laughs> you were probably one of about 13 or 14 at the very beginning, less than that, actually. Yeah. So, and, and your show has been terrific. I, I love listening to it. I love learning about what's going on in the community and who are the drivers in the community and what the community has to offer. And you conduct great interviews. And it's, so it's it's wonderful to have your program on our radio. It's a very high-quality program. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I hope the listeners are listening to that. Uh, I appreciate, oh, I'm getting some uh, fan. I'm getting fan mail here. <laughs> um, anyway, so let's look at the station. What, what's it been like at the station? And why is, this is your new mission in life. You're working here. And, right. Uh, what's that been like for you? Well, it's... Um, 
It's been uh, a lot of fun. It's been a labor of love. It's it's reignited my energy, uh, especially when we were first thinking of putting this station together before it was built. I was asked if I would uh, would want to come on board and help Petaluma Community Access build their radio station. And uh, I was looking for work. Uh, Teatro Zanzani had closed. I was doing freelance work. I was doing some sound work. I was doing a lot of different odd jobs. And I really wanted to work in Petaluma and something that I really loved. And as it turns out, uh, I realized that uh, when I first enrolled at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, I chose a major of uh, radio and television. And I, I didn't finish there. I left because I actually went out on the road and I went to New York and I worked in, uh, with a band that was recording in New York and it was like ignited my passion to do that. And also I wasn't really thrilled with some of the classes and things that I had to take at, it was not the right school for me. It was not an operational school. It was like I was taking speech courses for phonetic alphabet things, and, uh-huh. and I was writing com- uh, commercials, and you know, it just wasn't the technical thing that I was really interested in. Um, but I seem to have come full circle, because <laughs> here, here I, I am. Right. Here I am at a radio station. and But you're not writing jingles, are you? No, I'm not, but okay. I'm helping interns to do those things. Okay. And uh, fortunately, I've had some great interns here, and that's one of the missions of Petaluma Community Access, is to provide an educational platform in the media arts for students, for adults. Uh, We have uh, high school students who are interns, we have uh, Sonoma State students who are interns, we have uh, SRJC students who are interns and they come in program, some of them go on the air, and uh, they're technically way beyond me. They look at me and go, well, why do you still use a flash drive? <laughs> you know, we're beyond that. You don't need a flash drive. Just put it over the cloud or something. And I'm going, oh, okay. So uh, just one of my roles here I, I, really, I really relish is nurturing the younger generation to come in and be part of this program. And because there, it's not a problem finding older folks who want to play their old record collections. There's a lot of those people out there, and that's fine. But I, you know, we're all going to move on, and I want this station to be robust and grow. And you need you need the youth to do that. Right. right. And so when I started getting uh, uh, students from uh, Petaluma High School who wanted to have a show, and, I, and they do great shows, some of these people. It's, they're amazing. Their energy is good. The song selections are great. It's, it really, it's fantastic to see this happen, because this is the future. Well, if you decide you have an intern who could sit in that chair as, uh, as part of an interview here to help encourage younger people who are interested in radio, television, media, uh, please let me I know. I'd be happy to... Uh, to bring them on the show and give the community an opportunity to meet them and hear why they've chosen this particular path in their lives because I think it's important. I was thinking that uh, uh, in this day of the Internet and of all the other technological means of people communicating, uh, radio is facing some challenges, actually. Over-the-air radio is facing some challenges. 
do you have any visions of where where it's going and what this is going to look like? Well, you know, uh, I get a, a few. Uh, I'm on a few forums and things, and that, that kind of thing gets discussed. And it turns out that uh, radio is a very it's a leading media. Uh, uh, radio listenership is really strong. People always tune into the radio at different times. It's it's not fading away. Although there is a lot of competition, there's a lot of for people uh, the younger folks. You know, they listen on their phones to they, whatever they stream, so there is competition. But radio stations are now streaming, and so it's easy to pick us up on your mobile device right. or any other station from all over the world. So it's really, it's really, um, it's opened the world a lot, having being able to stream radio stations from anywhere and get uh, introduce yourself to new cultures. And I love being able to do that. There are... Uh, websites that offer that place called Radio Garden, I think. They, people, radio stations are mem- from all over the world are members of this, and you can just tune in. You just circle, you can just pick a place on the globe and tune into a radio station from that point. So, uh, just like everything else with the uh, expansion of the internet and, uh, and the world growing smaller, it's being there's more uh, access to all these different cultures, and I think that's a, that's the, uh, a real strong future for radio. Have you ever thought that there's too much access in the sense that the choices are so big, they're huge out there in terms of the, the media, the radio stations, the television stations, you know, cable TV, you can now have 400 channels, right. 500 channels. right. Right, and only about three of them are watchable. <laughs> yeah, right, because, right, that part's true, too. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's really sometimes, you know, given right, you know, age, thinking back, oh, yeah, we had three or four channels on TV we could watch, and we made our choices. Mm-hmm. And on one hand, having all this other stuff available and information available is great, uh, we, and it serves lots of different people in different ways. On the other hand, the, the choices are overwhelming, and it, it's pretty hard hard to make those choices. Well, you have to have some good, strong filters for yourself, I think. And for, for myself, I don't really watch TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, we dropped our cable service years and years and years ago. We didn't need it, and especially with the uh, growing of uh, uh, the Internet, you know, the Roku and Netflix and things like that. And that seems to work fine. Um, I don't spend a lot of time in front of the screen. I do it here at work. I'm in front of a computer screen a, a, a lot. Um, you know, I dabble a little bit on, on Facebook. Uh, I, I loved getting in touch with people that I... I was a very much of a latecomer to Facebook. And when I started to find my old friends and reconnect with them, it was great. And I really like it for that. But it's easy to find yourself spending too much time on it. But... Yeah. Uh, so you just have to be have discipline, and I love to go outside, and so I'll, you know, I'll take myself outside as much as I can, especially now that we're having some nice weather, and as long as my allergies don't kill me. <laughs> uh, it's that season, isn't yeah, boy. it? It is that season. <laughs> Lots of people are feeling that. Um, yeah. So what are some of the challenges that for you at the community access station? What's that, you know, it's well, we're open to everybody. And sometimes uh, people will want to come in and have a radio show, and they think, this is going to be great, I have a lot to offer, but they don't really have a skill set to uh, 
to draw people to a show. They just, uh, it's not there. It's not what their basic talent is. And so sometimes people like that come in. They don't last very long. They try it out. Uh, some people come in and they train and then they never come back. They're like ready to do a show and then they say, well, I, you know, they disappear. They don't even say goodbye. They just, where did that person go? That happens once in a while. The, the thing now, I looked uh, at the beginning of the year, uh, at, at the year that had just gone by and where we were in January of 2018. And we had around a dozen programmers. And we were a timeshare station, so we were on three days a week. And we weren't even on the air, actually. We were an internet station. And now I look, and now we have come to be a 24-7, if we want to. We're on from 6 a.m. to midnight, but we can go 24-7, seven days a week. We can do that now. Um, and I have over 50. I sent an email blast out to programmers yesterday, and it was to 60 people. And so that's huge growth in a year. And because all those folks need some management, they need some training, they need some guidance, uh, they need to learn what they're doing, they need coaching, they need to uh, follow the disciplines for radio, and that's a huge amount of time, all that people management. And so that is the challenge, is people management for me. And what seems to be the main way that uh, all these programmers create listeners? Because it's okay to have the programs, but I, and I get that. Uh, I'm sitting right here. Mm -hmm. There's also the listener side that is, you know, do you have any sense of what that's like in the community? Uh, I do know that there are a lot of programmers, especially music programmers, who go out mm -hmm. in the community and um, kind of rally the community to listen to their show. Uh -huh. They go to shows, they go to bars, they go to restaurants, they go to record stores, and they get people interested in their shows and are wonderful. Uh, programmer Dino Portes is, is extremely active in doing that. He always comes and says, I've got this great new person who wants to have a show, and I've got all these people listening all over the world. And so the, the programmers drive that, and the people that are out in the community, and also at the same time, we are right now trying to establish a, a stronger presence in the community, let people know we're here. We're at a time when we need to be able to do fundraising, uh, get some underwriting, and we needed programs so we'd have time to sell for underwriting so people aren't going to give you money if they're not going to be on the radio. Somebody, you know, so we're, we're in a really strong development stage to become more noticed in the community, and uh, we're going to do an event a live broadcast from the Lagunitas Brewing Company tomorrow. The DJ who's supposed to, who is who is on three to five, is going to be doing his show from Lagunitas, and he's going to go for an extra two hours. So it'll be three o'clock to seven o'clock live from Lagunitas. Oh, tomorrow afternoon. Tomorrow afternoon. Uh, tomorrow is Friday, so yep. Friday afternoon, April twelfth. Yes. Live from Lagunitas. Yep. Okay. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. So. And I know there's a fundraiser coming up in May. Right. May twentieth for the PCA for the Petaluma Community Access right. Corporation. And that's also at Lagunitas. That's one so of their nonprofit. There seems to be a tendency here. Lagunitas. It's, uh, it's a beer. <laughs> uh, is there a they, they're, you know, beer Lagunitas. drinking and listening to KPCA. Probably. Probably there is. There's a few. We have a few bartenders who are. Okay. <laughs> okay. Whoa. Mm. All right. All right. Pretty soon we'll have a, uh, a way to see.
sip beer through the radios <laughs> or through yeah. our computers to be able to yeah. taste. It's a whole yeah. new technology we're working on. Yeah. Well, it's great. I think that, um, you know, I've been to a couple of meetings with uh, the other programmers, and it's really kind of a little community that gets formed by the people who are on the air sitting in this studio and uh, getting out there in the world. And, uh, you know, you're kind of the mastermind behind behind the curtain uh, for all of this. And it, it really makes a difference for me and I believe for the others uh, to feel connected in such a way. That's exactly what we try to do. And we're trying to do more of it, you know, keep our programmers connected with each other. It is a community. Uh, I'm sure when the weather gets a little nicer for a more consistent time, we'll do. A, we'll try to do a programmer picnic or something out at McNear Park or something like that. But, yeah, it, it is a community. So what's been the most satisfied pieces of your work here? You know, you've come off the road for 25 years and working and all, and now you're back in this radio business. The, the most satisfying thing was being able to create this. Mm-hmm. It's like I've done in the past with other things. It's just the ability to take, create something from nothing. It's, it's, it's phenomenally exciting and powerful. It keeps you young. It keeps you thinking. You can't make, you know, just sit back and rest on your laurels. You've got challenges coming up. And, to, and it's exciting to be able to meet those challenges. And now I'm the responsible steward of a federal, uh, a federally regulated entity, you know. So I have to really watch my, you know, P's and Q's and cross my T's and dot my I's all the time. It's and not do the uh, famous seven uh, words that you can't no, say on no. the radio and all that. But we have stuff. a little delay, a little button over there that. Oh, <laughs> I, no one ever taught me about yeah, but that. You don't need to know it. Uh, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> you never know what somebody's going to say. Yeah. Yeah. And I know we have calling capabilities right. and all kinds of things. Right. So it's really come, in the year that I've been doing this, it's come a long way. Thank you. Yes, yes. And, we've uh, worked hard. I appreciate uh, all this opportunity in my life to be able to do this program and to be able to share it with the community, get to know you and the people who work here. It's, uh, it's been a great honor to be able to do that. Um, any any last words you want to share with the community? Sure. We right now it? we are very actively working with the city uh, to become part of the Emergency Operations Center communications. So uh, when there's an emergency, we're gonna, we're in the network to now be called and be able to broadcast whatever information needs to be put out to the community at large. Okay, that's an important thing. Hopefully Absolutely. we'll be letting people know we're... The community is involved in disaster preparation, exactly. fairs, and all that kind of stuff, and this will be an important part of it. Yep. So, Rob Tomaszewski, I want to thank you so much for being in the studio. It's been a wonderful year, and I look forward to continuing uh, working with you and KPCA staff to bring this program to our community. You are all listening to Talking with Rabbi Ted on KPCA LP, Petaluma, California. Have a wonderful day. Maybe no sunshine, but there's sun above the clouds.